All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour of today's show for making this show economically viable. They are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Jeff Siegel. He's the managing editor uh, of Energy and Capital and uh, contributing analyst for the Energy Investor. He's an end, uh, an independent investment research service. Uh, that is, Energy Investor is an independent investment research service that focuses primarily on stocks uh, in the oil and gas and modern energy and infrastructure markets. Uh, there he shares uh, the latest modern energy news updates and recommendations. He is also a regular contributor to Wealth Daily. Uh, from 1994 to 2001, Jeff worked for Agora Publishing, one of the that's one of the largest financial newsletter publishers in the world. Uh, before packing his bags and traveling across the globe in search of megatrends uh, and his own version of Nirvana, which he uh, found. And the burgeoning uh, modern energy and infrastructure markets. So we're really glad to have you with us, Jeff, to to help us find Nirvana. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Good to have you. Um, it it, just, it seems a bit strange to me, just looking at your background, that uh, you are, as I understand it, a, a free market guy, right? You're a free Absolutely. market capitalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet you you advocate, uh, as I understand it, a, a lot of green energy plays. It seems to me, my impression, and I may be, it may be just a false impression, that a lot of the green energy projects that are uh, trying to make a go of it rely to a great extent on uh, on some subsidies from government, or is that no longer so much the case? No, it's, it's absolutely the case. Uh, there's still much of uh, what we have integrated now in the way of solar, wind, and geothermal um, relies uh, heavily, um, depending upon which state you're in, uh, on subsidies. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I'm not in Washington. I don't get to decide, you know, whether or not we have a free market or not. So, yeah. you know, I, I basically see an opportunity and I go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could make the case too, as some do, that uh, that the industries that uh, for, that renewable sources compete against, namely the um, you know hydrocarbons, are subsidized too in many ways, and perhaps through the tax code, perhaps through the military, overseas intervention, and so on and so forth. So I guess the, you make a very good point that it's very difficult, as you say, you can't, <laughs> you're not in Washington, you can't uh, declare a free market, so you have, to, you have to deal with what you have. And um, 
in any event, uh, it certainly is a nice idea, renewable energy. What are the most viable, I mean, there's wind, solar, geothermal, tidal, uh, biogas, those are some of the ones, but, but what are the ones that you think are, are closest to being, in general, uh, the most economic? Uh, well, the most economic we're looking at right now is, in the United States would be wind, and that's particularly mm-hmm. in the in the Midwest and in Texas. Um, in fact, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, Mid American Energy put in a I think it was a two billion dollar order for uh, wind turbines from Siemens, um, and those are going to be you know peppered all throughout Iowa, um, and I believe something like twenty percent of the power there currently does come from wind. Um, the the difference between wind and coal. Um, we're talking about me- uh, megawatts, uh, megawatt hour. Um, we're about four dollars apart, so it's not that great of a distance between coal um, and 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 wind. And clearly, in in, uh, in many of these Midwest states, coal is still the the primary source of of power generation. Um, so it's it's less of a natural gas versus wind as much as it is a, a coal versus wind. Um, a lot of it really does depend ge- geographically, you know, where you are, you know, mm-hmm. Hawaii. Where you know the price per kilowatt hour is you know three times what you pay you know in, in the mainland, um, right? It, it it makes more sense economically to to seek something like solar, um, where most of the power generation there comes from you know diesel generators. Mm-hmm. Um, so and yeah. again, you know, the Midwest area you have wind. Um, we have some good solar resource in in California and in Arizona as well. You mentioned that uh, project, the $2 billion project. Is that one that uh, Warren Buffett has just uh, joined into? Is he involved with that? There's something uh, I was just noticing that uh, Warren Buffett's utility company, uh, the decision by Warren Buffett's utility company to order about $1 billion of wind turbines for projects in Iowa shows how a drop in equipment cost is making renewable energy more competitive with power from uh, fossil fuels. Uh, are you? Is that the same thing you're talking about? Is Warren Buffett yeah, involved same. in that deal? Yeah, okay. same thing. He's actually through Mid American. Um, I think since about 2007, he's been slowly building up wind assets um, throughout the United States, mostly in in the uh, in the Midwest areas. Uh, so we're seeing a, a reduction in the cost of some of this capital equipment that's required because, as I understand it, that's the big the, one of the big hindrances is just the upfront capital cost to a lot of these renewable energy uh, projects. Once you get the capital taken care of, uh, it's pretty low cost on an ongoing basis, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's still some issues with transmission and distribution um, and. I would say maybe 10 years ago, there was still also an issue of durability. You know, a lot of these turbines were in place and some of the um, solar arrays were in place, but it was kind of hard to gauge, okay, are they really going to last as long as the manufacturers said they're going to last? What kind of problems are we going to have? And we're kind of getting over that hump now because a lot of these things have been in, in place for, you know, 10, 15 years. So we're kind of getting to that point like, okay, yes, we do know that, you know, these particular solar panels can last 20 years, no problem. These wind turbines, you know, at a, at a, you know, one megawatt, 1.5 megawatt turbine is going to last no problem. We have to grease the nacelles and everything. But, you know, for the most part, like you said, you know, the capital costs can be high. Uh, but once those are in place and, and you get a return on that investment pretty quick, um, you know, the, the fuel is free. I mean, that's the advantage there, obviously. Mm-hmm. The fuel is free. The fuel is free and the fuel is clean, which is another advantage, certainly to society. Long, uh, all too long, of course, uh, costs have been passed on to future generations, uh, and not perhaps recognizable at the times. You mentioned coal. Are there, um, 
advantages or disadvantages to coal now would seem to be regulatory environment against coal, against the burning of coal, uh, also mining of coal. Is that right? Is that sort of playing into the into the favor of some of these renewables? Um, I think, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. The regulatory um, environment um, is making it harder and harder for the coal industry, or at least coal-fired power plants, to operate um, economically. Uh, that being said, I think uh, all too often we forget the fact that natural gas is really eating into coal's market share. I mean, we have a lot of old coal-fired power plants that are being um, retrofitted to run on natural gas. Um, you, you have dirt cheap natural gas, e- even without regulatory issues, um, coal cannot compete with, with, with cheap natural gas. Well, speaking of natural gas, uh, of course, it's the fracking industry, I guess, that uh, fracking uh, both oil and gas, it's really uh, creating a boom in the production of hydrocarbons in the United States. Uh, what are your what are your feelings about natural gas? I mean, do you do you see some opportunities there? Or are you just uh, for for other reasons uh, focusing more on clean and renewable energies? Well, I mean, across the board, I'm I'm pretty much an energy guy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's an yeah. opportunity. The great thing about energy is it depends where you go. There's an opportunity um, with natural gas. The interesting thing is, you know, my my focus is typically on alternative energy, um, mm-hmm. and often there is the question, okay, well, is natural gas making it more difficult for alternative energy to thrive? And I'm not sure that's necessarily always the case, um, particularly because natural gas actually serves as an excellent uh, complementary resource to things like wind and solar, because obviously wind and solar, you know, solar, for instance, you know, you're not going to generate solar power at 2 o'clock in the morning, um, mm-hmm. but... When you're not, you can utilize you know, your natural gas supply. Um, the same with wind. You know, when the wind's not blowing, you just deploy natural gas. You basically deploy whatever's the cheapest to deploy at that time. Um, and, you know, if you have, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon in California, chances are it's going to be a lot cheaper to deploy solar than it is natural gas. And it's an excellent way to actually preserve, even though we have, you know, a ridiculous amount of natural gas, um, it's an excellent way to, um, to make that gas go even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very important. I think that we realize that there we have a lot of it, but nonetheless, it's still uh, not infinite. And uh, I know that some people make the point that they would rather not see us export that natural gas because we lose a lot in the process of doing that. But um, so wind, um, solar, solar is making some inroads into some of the warmer climates in the U.S. Absolutely. I mean. Uh, solar has been on a, a, a great trip, I'd say, over the last 10 years, uh, with the price of production falling dramatically. I mean, we were at, I think in 1977, it was about $74 uh, per watt in production, and today it's about $0.74. Cents. Um, wow. Yeah, we could, and and most of this, you know, is, is thanks to you know cheap Chinese product. Um, that's that's the reality of it. Um, but the bottom line is, it's becoming cheaper and cheaper. Uh, to integrate solar, whether it is um, on you know someone's home or, or a warehouse roof, um, or even if you have a large array that that sends power to the grid, um, this the the pricing is actually starting to stabilize a bit. So there's been a drastic reduction in production costs, and it's gonna this production cost declines are going to continue, probably not as quickly as they have I would say over the past five years, but they're going to continue to go down. Um, and of course, that's just going to make uh, you know the the outlook for solar that much better. Um, you also have in you, you also have a lot of great new uh, companies coming out that are are financing these 
these solar arrays, for instance, um, I'm sure you've heard of uh, Solar City. It's a company that does the financing, mm-hmm. and they basically lease projects. So if you wanted to put solar in your home, you know, you can you can either do no money down or pay it all up front, however you want to do it, um, mm-hmm. and essentially lease a solar power system for 20 years. You know, they 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 install it. They maintain it. They take care of the inverters. They insure it. They do everything. Um, and in some cases, you know, depending again, depending upon where you live and what you pay for your power, um, you know, you could come out ahead. We have a. Um, I did this about two years ago. I just just to test it because I live in Baltimore City and I, I have a very mm-hmm. small uh, roof. Um, mm-hmm. But just out of curiosity, I wanted to see what they could put up there. So it was about it was something that was going to cover about thirty percent of my power generation if I put solar up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I paid and if I paid it up front, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't remember what the actual cost was. But I, I I figured out what the ROI was if I paid it all up front, and it was about four and a half years. So mm-hmm. after four and a half years, you know, I have what fifteen and a half years left. Left. Uh huh. Thirty percent of my power is is essentially free. Um, mm-hmm. So, and now imagine if you're in California or in Arizona or someplace right, where you have right. an excellent solar resource and a huge roof. Um, this has really helped a lot of solar companies sell a lot of product, um, and it's helped consumers finally be able to get solar on the roofs without having to, you know, take out a second mortgage. Mm-hmm. And you said you live in Baltimore. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So some of the other. Uh, forms of renewables that I looked at over in the past. There was a biogas company, I can't remember the name of it now, that was quite interesting. Is that something that has some promise? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways you can look at biogas. Uh, there's essentially, there's a number of different types of biogas, but the two main mm-hmm. sources would be landfill gas and, and methane from agricultural waste. Mm-hmm. Um, the, la- the landfill stuff is fantastic. I mean, there's a number of companies um, that have utilized landfill gas uh, to power their operations. GE is one of them. Um, there mm-hmm. are a number of uh, federal buildings um, here in Maryland that actually mm-hmm. use landfill gas to power the buildings. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very very efficient. Um, the uh, the ROI on the on the on the equipment costs is is, is pretty pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. And you know that's, you know the bottom line is you, it's not like you're going to run out of trash anytime soon. Um, I did get a I did get hassled a little bit when I talked about this a few years ago at a conference, and someone said, "Well, you know, that's not really a good case because you know we really should not be making as much trash as we do, and it's yeah. good for the environment." And I agree with that, but you know, until you can convince you know everyone to stop using you know to stop making so much trash and recycle 100% of what they do, um, that's not very realistic. So yeah, landfill gas is a great opportunity. Um, you look at methane digesters using biogas in agricultural um, areas. It's um, also very. It, it can be very efficient, but um, and and it, unless you have a very large operation, it can be very very expensive. I want to ask you about some of your uh, some of your picks, some of your top picks, and some ideas that you have about making money uh, in in this sector. Uh, but before we get this uh, to that point, I want to just mention that you uh, that you're putting out a new book. I guess it's Energy Investing for Dummies. Is that right? Yeah, actually, it just came out recently. Um, it's on uh, Wiley & Sons put it out. And it, it's not just alternative energy. It's energy across the board, oil, gas, coal, nuclear, um, alternative energy, and everything in between. Uh, speaking of nuclear, just uh, you just brought it to my mind. Uh, following the disasters in Japan, how, how does that sector look at this point in time? You know, it actually is it, not as bad as, as you might think. Um, mm-hmm. There's little chance you're going to see any kind of uh, any any kind of 
nuclear additions in Japan. You're not going to see much expansion in the in the U.S. Um, certainly not in Germany and uh, and Switzerland and a few other random uh, countries. Um, but for the most part, nuclear is still going strong. I mean, you know, Korea is very bullish on nuclear. China. Uh, we're seeing a lot of nuclear interest in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a huge, a huge disaster. And, and quite frankly, I think it's, it's one of those things that's going to kind of be with us for a while because I don't think anybody really knows how bad it is or how bad it's going to get because clearly no one at TEPCO or the Japanese government has figured out what to do over something that's how old now. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, we are a power starved uh, world and as places like China and India and other third world nations grow, they need power and nuclear is not um, a last option. It is a first option. Um, so I, I, I don't count out nuclear at all. In fact, I have, I have personal positions in, in, a, in a number of uranium companies. Okay. So are you you're bullish on uranium at this point in time? Because it's really been uh, down in the doldrums as well for quite a while. Yeah, it has been. I think that it's actually a pretty good time to buy some of the some of the smaller players. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. big on like rushing out to buy like Cameco or anything like that, but mm-hmm. um, definitely some of the smaller players that have good properties that are are, are well funded. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of room for those to move. There's a, there's some really good action up in Athabasca region in Canada. Some mm-hmm. really great properties up there. So um, I'm always looking up there for for some plays. Um, there's a mm-hmm. fission fission uranium as a company that's up there that I'm I'm very bullish on right now. They have a, mm-hmm. just an incredible property up there. Um, and the stock's like a buck. Um, and I'm I'm very much convinced that sometime next year someone's going to buy them out. It's just there's so there's way too much action going on up there um, for it to just kind of just sit around and not be scooped up by a chemical or a bigger company. Mm-hmm. There's a, a company, a small producer, uh, an ISL producer, Uranium Energy in Texas. Do you know of that story? I know I know of the company, but I don't it's, know much about. It's not one you followed. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, well, you had a you had a lot of winners. Um, You've done well with with some stocks. I think Telsa was one that you did very well with last year. You've the um, Solar City was that another one that's done well for you? Those two? Oh yeah, we did really well with Solar. So, actually, in 2013, Solar City and uh, Tesla were our biggest winners. And um, is uh, so. What's the upside? Do you, you think they're pretty much? Uh, there's other places to go to make more money now in the, in this sector. Those those have pretty much run their course. Do you think? What about Solar City? Um, you know, Solar City. It, I guess for me, it's Solar City is one of the situations that I got in very early, um, and I just, I, you know, I, I'm kind of a, a very, I'm not a big risk taker. So once I've made a significant chunk of money, I, I tend to move along. And if it goes up a little bit more, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I have. Um, sure. I, I think over the long term, Solar City is going to be a very major player. Um, but they do have a few bumps in the road ahead, and I, I wouldn't be. I, I'm not in a, in a hurry to chase that stock right now at current levels. Um, I think there's a lot of momentum behind it, and, and there's a lot of people that don't really understand the business that have been buying into it because Elon Musk has a piece of it. So uh, I don't think no. that's enough of a reason to, to buy it. It's <laughs> enough of a reason to look at it for, sure, yeah. for certain, but um, I don't yeah. think that's enough of a reason to buy it. Does it, uh, does it pay any dividends, any of these stocks? Uh, some of does them do. Um, well, let's, let's get – yeah. Solar City does or doesn't? So I don't. I, Solar City does not. Um, okay. Tesla does not. Um, there's a company that I, I'm actually very bullish on called Hannon Armstrong Sustainable mm-hmm. Capital, um, mm-hmm. and this is essentially a company that finances uh, alternative energy installations at buildings and, and warehouses and things like that. Um, they have about a two percent dividend right now. There's 
uh, we look, they're probably going to have about a 7% dividend by the end of next year. Um, I really like this company because there's not a whole lot of risk in this company. Um, essentially, they find really good uh, you know, projects and they fund them. It's, very, it's a very simple operation. Um, and a lot of their, uh, their customers are come from the government. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I think it was about a week or two ago, um, President Obama uh, declared an executive order, um, which essentially states that, tw- that all federal buildings, 20% of their power must come from uh, – renewable energy, uh, and that could either be through solar uh, or, or some kind of power generation system or by um, upgrading the, the, the building system. So you're talking about energy efficiency and conservation and stuff like that. Um, Hand and Sustainable is already, they already have a number of contracts with the government. They're kind of already in the door, and it's not like any of these, these, uh, you know, these small government groups have a whole lot of money to play with in their budgets. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to get this stuff financed somehow. And I think Han is a, Han and Armstrong is one of the companies that has a, a, a real good shot at getting most of that, most of that action. Cause they do small, they do, you know, they're not, they're not doing these gigantic, you know, solar arrays in Arizona. They're doing, you know, buildings and, and old, mm-hmm. uh, smaller power, power plants and things like that. So, um, it's a nice, like a nice little niche, uh, for alternative energy. They do have a little natural gas operation too, so there's a little hedge there. Um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 one of those things that it's just uh it's it's a very safe play on energy. Not even just an alternative, just a very safe play on energy. Um and, the, and there's a, a whole lot of upside. I think the stock's about twelve fifty right now. Um, you know, I I'm looking I fear I I believe that we should be around sixteen dollars by the middle of next year on that stock. And again if you add a seven percent dividend to that, it's a nice one to hold on to for a while. Yeah, I noticed uh, twelve forty nine. It's symbol H A S I on the New York Stock Exchange. Do they do they have earnings yet, or uh, they had earn they, they just went public last year or this year? Okay. Um, last earnings, I believe, were about a month and a half ago. I couldn't tell you offhand what they were. Okay. But they, they were positive. But um, they should be making money this year, is what I guess is. You, you well, expect they will be making money? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Another one that you like, Pattern Energy Group. What can you tell us about them? Um, I like pattern. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, developers, and I've, and I've been a big fan of developers for a long time in the sense that, again, it, for me, it, it's safer to buy, say, for, in, for instance, a wind farm developer than a wind turbine manufacturer because mm-hmm. a wind farm developer, once they lock in the property and they lock in the power purchase agreement, typically you've got 20 years of guaranteed revenue. So if you got a good deal on on the uh, on the financing, and you got a, a, a good good property, uh, and you got a good deal in place with your power purchase agreement, um, it's 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 pretty much a no brainer. Um, and and Pattern is is one of those one of those companies that that does this. They 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 develop these these projects. Um, I know they're they have about I think they have about seven or eight in Canada, um, mm-hmm. and I think one or two in the United States. I think they're in Chile as well. Um, again, it's a small company. Um, they don't have an enormous amount of, of power generation, um, but they have good growth, um, and you know they're they're in the right places. I mean, they're 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 in the areas where wind is strong. Even you know if you have natural gas at you know really insanely cheap prices, um, they're still uh, they're still thriving in these areas. Again, like we were talking about before with with uh, Warren Buffett being in in the, in Iowa, um, mm-hmm. you know this is a company that. You know, they're in the right places, they're in the right regions, 
they have good power purchase agreements in, in place, um, and, and again, it's a, it's a very safe way to play uh, alternative energy. Yeah, and as I look at it here, trading at $31.90, PEG is a symbol. Uh, the uh, information I have in front of me says it's earning about $2.50 a share, uh, giving it a PE ratio of 12.76, and it's paying a yield of about 4.5% on this price. So nice, a nice yield there. Yeah, Absolutely. I think they have a target. I think they're talking a target of like six and a quarter next year. So we'll see. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. So some growth, and you can see growth coming into the future for this company. Then it's not just you see it over the next what five, ten years or so. Possibly. Absolutely. This is this is definitely a long term investment. Okay. Uh, Greenbrier Capital Corp. Another one. GRB symbol. It trades on the Toronto Exchange. What What can you tell us about that one? Um, this is a, again. This is a developer and. Um, the thing about Greenbrier, and I have to give you a little history on this one. There was a company a couple of a few years back called Western Wind Energy Corporation. And uh, I discovered this company, I think, back in around 2007, um, maybe 2006, 2006, 2007. And, again, it was, it was a small wind development company out in California. And um, I, I, at the time when I, when I discovered this company, I, I liked it a lot because they didn't really have a whole lot of debt. Um, they, had, they were generating revenue while they were building out new projects. So when it came to alternative energy, it was a, again, it was, very, it was pretty, a pretty safe play. Um, but the big thing that sold me on this company is uh, the CEO, the guy's name is Jeff Chahersky. Um, really just hard-nosed capitalist, um, not, not big on taking on lots of debt, not big on taking on lots, lots of risk, um, but is very, very good at taking small properties and turning them into very valuable properties. Um, and he did that with Western Wind, and Western Wind was actually picked up um, I believe it was last year um, by Brookfield Renewable Energy Partners. Um, so made a, a very substantial gain on that one. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, Western Wind, they, they, only, they started that company with like a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, and it was, you know, they grew a share price about 20% each year since like 2000. So this, this is the kind of, you know, track record this guy has. Um, so, you know, after Western Wind, uh, was bought out, um, he called me a couple of days later and said, hey, I'm starting this new company called Greenbrier. You should check it out. And he's basically doing the same thing he did with Western Wind. He's just he's finding uh, excellent properties. He's developing them. Um, and he's going outside as well. He's not just in California anymore. He's got some properties in Utah, uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and he's getting really great power purchase agreements in place. He's getting really good deals on the power. So, uh, again, it's kind of like – I saw. I already, I already saw what he did with Western Wind, um, and there's no doubt in my mind I'll do the same thing with Greenbrier. So uh, I'm, I'm, I remain bullish on, on that stock um, as long as he's in charge. I, I'm, I'm behind it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you expect they'll earn this year? Or do you have? Are they are they projecting earnings? Did you say? Um, the thing with Greenbrier, I, I don't. I don't know the projections are, and I haven't checked recently. Okay. Um, I can tell you that it is a. It, it is. Um, there's only a small amount of outstanding shares. I think there's maybe 11 million, um, okay. and about six million are held by insiders. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! So yeah, it's it's not it's not a stock you can jump in and out of if that's what you're looking for. But if you can get in, you know, personally, like I'm always looking to, I, I, you know, if I can add to my position, um, I, I'm I'm more than willing to do so. Again, this is not something I'm looking to to, to dump anytime soon. This is something that I'll sit on for a while. Uh, one more that uh, I know that you're you're keen on is U.S. Geothermal. It's uh, trades on the American Exchange or the I guess the New York uh, Exchange. HTM is a symbol. What what about them? Are they out? Where are they located? Are they out in Nevada or someplace like that? 
Uh, they're actually all over. They have uh, operation in Idaho, Nevada, and um, and uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, U.S. Geothermal is uh, actually another company that I discovered many years ago, and I, and I played it on a number of occasions. Um, the uh, it's again, it's a, it's a it's a small but nimble and smart company. Um, it got some really uh, good financing earlier in the in, in the in the life of the company. It wasn't they did a deal with Goldman on uh, on an Idaho property. It was it was one of those deals when it came through. It's like well, clearly Goldman's the winner on this, um, and I think there was a little hesitancy. But I, I I knew the CEO and I and I understood what he was doing. He was generating interest. Um, and he just needed to get that project online in order to get financing for three or four other projects he had already lined up. Um, he was really, really good at finding old uh, old geothermal properties that had pretty much been abandoned. The Idaho one was abandoned by the U.S. government. Um, there was one in Nevada that was practically abandoned. Um, and the thing is, the, the wells were good. The, the, mm-hmm. the resource was, was good. It just needed to be developed. And up until that point, no one wanted to put the money in developing it because there was, you know, there was no market for it. And of course, right. it all changed around, say, 2004, 2005. Um, the, the tough thing about U.S. geothermal is, and it, and it drives me insane, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a company that is, they're very smart growth. Um, and, and they're generating revenue. Um, but it's, I think traders have just, have bit and chewed at this one for such a long time. It's, yeah. I think it's hard sometimes for people to, to get too excited about it. I mean, long term, I, I, it's, it's definitely a riskier play, um, but it's not a play that I've really been uh, keen on trading because I do think there's a lot of potential here. I mean, the bottom line is they, they put together a nice little package, and I suspect at some point, I think within the next year or two, someone's going to snap them up. It's Scoop. pretty cheap, so, you know. What's the trading at, more or less? You know, it, it bumps around between 35 and 40 cents. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, certainly not. Uh, those those price ranges are not uh, alien to listeners to this show. We do cover some companies uh, in that price range. We are, uh, my engineer is telling me we're out of time. It's really uh, very nice talking to you. I think you have a lot of, a lot of great ideas. And, again, you're uh, just to tell our listeners – um, Energy uh, Investments for Dummies, I guess, is the name of your book. And uh, where can people go to follow what you're doing and some of your ideas? Uh, you can go to energyandcapital.com. That's where we cover most of our energy-related uh, analysis. And then wealthdaily.com is where you do more um, broad market uh, analysis and we, we get into the precious metal space a bit and, um, and technology. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, a lot of nice ideas here, some things that uh, yours truly want to follow up on, perhaps, for my own newsletter. I want to thank you very much, Jeff, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Okay, you take care. And folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. So don't go away. We'll be right back. the boardroom to you voice america business network paramount gold and silver is a u.s-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits paramount's primary asset the sleeper gold project in northern nevada is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over seven million ounces paramount trades on the nyse under the symbol pzg for more information go to www.paramountgold.com paramount gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration 
Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me uh, once again Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Daniel is on this show so frequently I won't read his bio again, but if uh, those of you who are not familiar with Daniel, you can go to the Voice America website, biz, uh, the business website, uh, the Jay Taylor page there, and um, uh, the Turning Hard Times into Good Times page, I should say, and there uh, look up Daniel McAdams uh, and you can read his bio. Welcome, Daniel. Good to have you with me again. Thanks, Jay. It's good to talk to you again. Great. Uh, good to have you, and some good news for a change on the uh, uh, on the, on this issue of um, tyranny from our government to the people. The federal court's declaration that the NSA's program, uh, spying program, is unconstitutional. Can you talk about that ruling a little bit, and uh, then what are the chances of it standing, uh, as it no doubt will be uh, will be challenged in in uh, some more courts. Sure, it's, it, you're right. It is a bit of, uh, of early good news. Um, certainly, at this point, it is. You know, um, U.S. District Circuit Court uh, Judge Richard Leon uh, issued the ruling last night, and it kind of shocked shocked the world, really. And um, but his, if you read his, um, if you if you read his uh, conclusions, it's it's really quite interesting. What essentially what it boils down to is he said that the government. Uh, has never uh, has never um, argued that this bulk collection of Americans' telephone records has quote actually stopped an imminent terrorist attack, and he says uh. you know the government the government only argued that that this method which is collecting stuff on all of us was quote faster than other investigative methods might allow. Mm. So I think reading that you know hearing the government's arguments in that <clears throat> really led him to issue his. His, uh, his decision, which is that this is unconstitutional. It's interesting, he said that um, James Madison would have been left, quote, aghast at this sort of uh, <laughs> approach toward the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, he couldn't have imagined it in his day and age, uh, probably. But, um, yeah, I mean, so essentially they're spying on everybody all of, all of the time, right? Yeah, and they say, well, it's, you know, it's just because it's easier than and really, uh, you know, putting out some shoe leather and trying to find people who actually have ill intent. It's just easier for us to collect on all of you. So, you know, and yet it's and, and yet it's not been effective. The federal government can't point to one case that's been stopped as a result yeah. of it. Is that what he's saying? Exactly, and that's the Achilles' heel. You know, and it's um, you know, it's sort of the leftover of this idea that you have to give up every bit of your civil liberties because we are in imminent danger. And I think, Jay, that more and more Americans are just starting to, um, you know, the spell is starting to wear off of people. And thankfully, they're starting to wake up from their slumber. Uh, and we saw, you know, and thankfully, um, 
some of these leaks that have come out of uh, of Snowden and other things as well have have I think really turned people and woken people up. So this is a this is a good first move. We'll see we'll see how far it goes. You know, already Senator Feinstein, who is the biggest proponent of NSA spying on all of us, is sort of doing a double take. She's saying, well. Oh well, it's important, but it's not indispensable, and you know. So she's backtracking from stuff that she said in the past, but I don't think that that they are ready to give up the fight either. Her or Mike Rogers, who's her um, counterpart on the House side. Well, the sinister side of me suggests that possibly there's going to have to be another accident, another problem, and then uh, <laughs> to scare Americans so that they'll uh, kowtow again to the police state. Yeah, and you know, what Feinstein says is let's send it to the Supreme Court for a decision, and that, that would be a, a, a real nail-biter. I mean, that would be fascinating to watch. I, I don't know the outcome. I'm not an expert on the court, but um, certainly if, if that were the case, it would pave the way for an absolutely major, major decision uh, that would affect us all. Not that the Supreme Court should have that power. That's a mistake. However, it is what it is, right? <laughs> But does the uh, NSA and the CIA and organizations like that pay any attention to the law anyway, Daniel? That's that's the other issue, you know. That's that's the other issue. But I think I think a substantial legal a substantial ruling from the Supreme Court would put things in motion that would change things. And who knows? Maybe we'd we'd even get another church committee type of situation. I hate to be oh, too we... optimistic. I'm almost yeah. sounding giddy. But but that's really what it would take. It would take. Um, it would take that to happen, and really, if, if if people are getting that irritated, they might demand that of their of their representatives. Who knows? Uh, well, we can hope. So you you don't really know um, which way this thing. You don't have an opinion which way it would go if it went to the Supreme Court. It probably will go there, don't you think? I think it's on its way. It, it would it would be uh, certainly would be interesting, and it would give um, you know it would give some impetus to this uh, to this idea. You know, so. It, it certainly would be good news, I think. It was another case that was that came along, I think, before Snowden that the use, um, Civil Liberties Union perhaps put forward to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court uh, did not stand with the uh, with the Civil Liberties Union. And uh, but now, as you as you say, Snowden has come out, and that's really a sort of revealed things. I guess have almost. I guess it's more evidence or more proof that actually uh, the allegations of the ACLU was. Uh, was actually uh, correct. So it's, it's, I think the court, as I understand it, was reading, ruled that the um, ACLU didn't have standing because they didn't have any evidence of it. But now apparently there is evidence that spying and use of Verizon and other companies to, uh, you know, to check up on everything we're doing 24-7 is now a reality and nobody's questioning it anymore. So it's just, it's, it should send shivers up every American spine. This should be something that just scares the hell out of everybody. And yet, most people seem to be asleep. But let's hope that uh, that people are waking up, thanks to to Edward Snowden and others. Um, changing subjects a little bit here, um, I noticed on the Ron Paul Institute website at ronpaulinstitute.org, uh, you've written an article here: uh, Ukraine unrest, Senator McCain, interventionalism, uh, Energizer Bunny. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, it's, you know, wherever, as I wrote, wherever there's unrest in the world where some U.S.-backed group is seeking to overthrow its leaders, you know, there is, Ukraine, there is uh, McCain in its midst. You know, he's always, yeah. but he always, he always steps in it as well. He always blunders and, and, and makes huge mistakes. You remember a few months ago he went to Syria to show the rest of us 
that there are moderates there who should be supported. And, uh, but oops, he ended up meeting with some extremist uh, kidnappers and was photographed with them. So that didn't work out too well. Uh, then he went down to Libya to get this uh, wonderful award from the Libyan military, thanking him for helping them overthrow their government. And um, right around the period he received it, Libya declared uh, Sharia law. So, <laughs> And, you know, not that we should care how they want to be governed, but the way that McCain and the neocons sell these interventions is that they're going to bring wonderful pro-American democracy and tolerance all around the world. So now he goes to Ukraine. Um, uh, it's a country that's uh, divided politically as to its orientation, whether it be uh, more toward the East and Russia, which has been a traditional market, or more toward the West and the EU, uh, which is not in great shape, as you know, Jay. So mm -hmm. It's not an automatic slam dunk as it might have been a decade or so ago. Um, uh, there's uh, the president of the country, uh, Yanukovych, uh, decided at the last minute that he wanted to, um, to not sign the agreement with the EU and look toward Russia. A bunch of people went into the streets and are protesting. They want to overthrow the government uh, because of this. And uh, there, there goes McCain in their midst saying, we're with you, we support you, um, uh, you know, we, uh, we admire what you're doing and this sort of thing. And... Uh, and then he, he threatens sanctions on uh, Ukraine uh, and these sorts of things. And in the same breath, he says, Russia should stop meddling in Ukraine's internal affairs. <laughs> you know, as, he's, as he's there standing with these, with these people. And, and by the way, Jay, some of the guys that he went and met with, yet once again, are pretty unsavory. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the main opposition parties there is called Svoboda, and they include some extreme nationalist and anti-Semitic rhetoric uh, as, as a sort of a matter of course in their platform. So once again, he finds himself embarrassed. Uh, you know, but that's always what the interventionists and the neocons do. They think they know so much about the rest of the world. You know, they think they're so smart, but they always just foul things up when they get involved. Well, they're trying to impose their own will on people they know nothing about. And, and the thing about uh, his uh, uh, request that Russia back it off, I, I mean, Ukraine is in Russia's backyard, for goodness sakes. And be like uh, Russia coming over here and telling us to get out of Mexico or something. I mean, yeah, uh, sure. And, and whatever the problems there were with NAFTA, and as we both know, there were tons of them, the, the impulse, the impetus to create a free trade zone in North America, was we were driven by the fact that Mexico was our neighbor. So there certainly is a natural, uh, there would be a natural attraction to Russia for a trade partner. The other issue is that Ukraine's industrial sector is pretty decrepit, and a lot of things that it has to export are more attractive to Russia than the EU. Uh, so, <clears throat> and Russia, face it, you know, let's face it, is a powerhouse. It's an energy powerhouse, and Ukraine needs energy. And the EU is, is sort of, uh, I mean, look at, look at Italy, look at France, look at, you know, the EU is an impoverished uncle who come knocking at your door. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, another, another story on the Ron Paul Institute, uh, ronpaulinstitute.org website uh, by, um, uh, this is, uh, I think this was uh, Paul Craig Roberts uh, wrote about American exceptionalism. Would you care to comment on that? Sure, and it really goes, it goes hand-in-hand hand with what we were just discussing, you know. Uh -huh. uh, the U.S. is determined to foment a new Cold War, uh, and he points out, you know, in a very, in his own unique, very uh, strong manner that, you know, the, a lot of the problems is this idea 
of American exceptionalism. You know, it's um, uh, we we have the right to step on any toes that we want because we're an exceptional nation, and it's um, and he says it's destroying our humanity. You know, he uh, it's um, this idea that we have to push so-called democratic capitalism throughout the rest of the world by force is really counterproductive. So it's. yeah. So, well, it's a, and also it seems to be um, probably to what extent? I mean, is this is this really driven by what President Eisenhower warned us against the military-industrial complex, Daniel? Is this just some some sort of um, force that is you can't really put your finger on any particular individual? It's a it's a whole host of uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of people that are that benefit from this war machinery. I think that certainly is part of it, but I also think, I mean, Paul Craig Roberts makes, it's, it's a wonderful sentence. He says, people propagandized into the belief that they are the world's special people inevitably lose their humanity. Uh, and that is just such a great point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Americans get propagandized uh, that we collectively, and here we go, the problem is this collectivism. We collectively are indispensable to the rest of the world. So it would go without saying that we should be able to do whatever we want, anywhere we want, because we're the good ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, in reality, you and I, Jay, who are non-collectivists, realize that there are good people and bad people. People do good things and people do bad things. Right. There are exceptional people in countries overseas and exceptional people here. Oh. Exactly. But what really strikes me, Daniel, uh, that seems to run so counter to the spirit of our revolution of 1776 is that the individual is important, that the state is supposed to be here to serve us only insofar as it, as it um, uh, protects our rights to be free. Uh, and and this whole notion, I think it was Senator Fulbright during the Vietnam War back at that time, he recognized that uh, what we were doing over there was going to hurt us internally. You know that that we become something different when we 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 no longer the individual the free individuals uh, at the uh, but that we become all collectivist numbers and non entities for the state for the service of the state. It's just it's insane. It's sick. It's just horrible. What's interesting uh, is that you're right, and it is kind of anti-American, isn't it? To believe it very that much way. so. <laughs> Absolutely, it you is know, totally. It's, un- it, yeah, I was just going to say it's. Um, it's interesting that, um, of all people, in a way, it's, it's Russia and Putin who pointed out to the U.S. this danger of thinking we're so exceptional. You know, he wrote, um, we're all different, but when we ask for the Lord's blessings, we must not forget that God created us equal. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a rebuke to, to the U.S. and this idea that we collectively as a nation are, are, are indispensable and exceptional, because it is true, God made us all individually. Uh, yeah. Whether you believe him or not, believe in that or not, I mean, as individuals, we are, uh, we are, we should be treated equally. And, and each individual is different. So the equal equality was equality under the law to be free, to be free to be who you are, as opposed to be uh, to be forced into something you're not as an individual, but as a servant of the state. It's just, uh, it's just so counter-American. Another, uh, with a couple of minutes we have left here yet, Daniel, you wrote. Uh, an article also that's on the website, uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, U.S. spies, nothing is beyond our reach. Could you just comment on that, perhaps? Sure, it's interesting because, you know, everyone is, uh, you know, while it's in the news, you know, the U.S. spying on everyone and everyone is irritated about it. It just shows what a tin ear the intelligence community has. You know, they've launched this, another, yet another spy satellite to spy on everyone. 
And the logo of this is this horrible octopus with its tentacles around the world <laughs> and the slogan, nothing is beyond our reach. And I don't think it's an accident that the, the actually the only tentacle that touches the earth of this really ugly octopus, it touches Russia, China, and finally Iran. Interesting. So that's an accident. Uh, but imagine this uh, total surveillance, the idea that nothing is beyond our reach. It's absolutely chilling. It just sounds totalitarian. Well, I want a lot of stuff beyond the state's reach. Uh, Russia, China, Iran, uh, the octopus is grabbing them. And, of course, they are, uh, they are all, um, as Ellen Brown has pointed out, all countries that refuse to deal with the, with the international banking system as we would like them to. So, Daniel, I'm told that we're out of time, but uh, anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye today? We will have you back next week, I believe. So, anything else? No, I just appreciate being on and talking with you, Jay. I appreciate having this couple of minutes to give a roundup of the world. (laughs) It's very, very important, and I think one of the things we're going to do before the year end is get a a review of what's taken place geopolitically over this past year and, uh, you know, what 2014 might hold for the uh, America's military war machinery. I mean... uh, uh, you know, Richard Mayberry, who I think you probably would agree with most of what he says, uh, Richard sure. is suggesting people should buy uh, defense stocks because they can make a lot of money. I have a little hard time doing that, but uh, in any event, I could understand he thinks it's inevitable that we're just going to keep spending money like mad to, to kill people in the name of profit and the name of freedom. Can you imagine that? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, let's let's kill people for some more freedom. All right. Anyway, Daniel, that's it uh, for today. That's all the time we have. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. So, folks, uh, after we come back from the break, I'll have some thoughts uh, about today's show and a word or two about next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, with some closing thoughts on today's show. Started off with Bruce Braganello of uh, Timmins Gold, and um, I just think it's, uh, it's an example of the kind of company that I like to own 
uh, and I'm sort of putting first and foremost in my newsletter companies, uh, uh, smaller companies that can grow organically, can increase their production and are selling at uh, very, very low prices right now thanks to the uh, massive decline in the gold price and in the gold share markets. Uh, we did talk a little bit about uh, some of the reasons to believe that uh, 1200 is a very critical area for gold, and that if we can hold 1200, uh, the worst should be over. Uh, there is, I think, in my own view, and I don't want to think this, but I have to when I look at the charts, think that there's a possibility that 1200 could be broken and that we could see something as low as uh, close to a thousand, a thousand dollar gold. If that were to happen, uh, and we held there, then I think the stage would be set for the next major run-up, which I think would be akin to what we saw in the last secular bull market in the 1970s when gold went from uh, from 200 to 100 uh, before it went to 850. So I, I think that kind of a move is definitely very, very possible for reasons that we talked about with John Rubino today. The enormous amount of money that's being created, the enormous amount of inflation, we are in a in a very substantial inflationary environment. No, it hasn't revealed itself in the most dramatic terms in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the everyday uh, living cost, although I, I think that um, John would agree that the cost of living is substantially higher than the government claims it is, and that as a result of that, if we were to look at the, uh, at the GDP in terms of the real cost of living as opposed to the fantasy uh, living cost that the government projects, that we would be looking at a, an economy that has never yet recovered uh, from the negative territory uh, post Lehman Brothers. But living in the fantasy world that we are forced to live in, we are told that we have very modest growth uh, and that inflation is much lower than it that in fact is. And if you Define inflation as the cost of staying alive. Now, as John Rubino pointed out, inflation, the real definition is the increase in the money supply. And that money supply, that money that is being pumped into the system, uh, is fueling a drive in the stock market in all kinds of asset prices like uh, jewelry, like uh, art objects. And it was really interesting that John Rubino pointed out that warehouses are being built near airports in uh, in wealthy countries like Singapore just for the uh, for a place for rich people that top 1% or 1/10th of 1% to store extremely expensive uh art objects etc uh not that they would ever care to even look at those art objects but just as a way of protecting themselves from the ravages of inflation and uh the fear that the dollar and other major currencies are all on a uh, on a downward trend, a very substantial downward trend that some people fear could get out of hand and head into a, uh, an absolutely out of control hyperinflationary environment. We can all hope and pray that that never comes about because if it does, uh, it won't be good for anybody. Uh, if we're looking, um, then we talked also after John Rubino, who always provides great insights, and really definitely have to get John back because. Uh, there's so much more to cover with him. He writes a wonderful website, uh, writes a, a, a conducts a, one, a wonderful website with lots of great articles and information on there. So I would uh, Google John Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, and, and check him out. Jeff Siegel, also very interesting uh, in terms of the uh, in, in terms of energy and possible energy investments. Uh, certainly worth listening to to him as well, and uh, some interesting stories, and one or two in particular that have nice yields attached to them. Uh, 
Uh, energy is something where, at least until we go into a real Kondratiev winter, is going to be something that probably will remain stable and provide some good income for people. Uh, also then, uh, well, I'm told that I'm out of time. Daniel McAdams with us. We just heard from Daniel. I do want to thank uh, our uh, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer. Next week, Paul Usum, Charles Nanner, David Gerwitz, uh, Daniel McAdams will be our guest. So don't go. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.